Today's show is brought to you by Kegler's Bowling Event Management System. Use Kegler's to run brackets, high game pots, eliminators, and blind draw doubles from your iPad. You can even run tournaments up to six games. Download Kegler's for free in the App Store. Kegler's is sponsored by Brunswick. Bowlers, and welcome to episode two of the Solid Nine podcast. My name is Jason Belschner, and this is the podcast where we talk all things bowling. So today we're going to talk about the PBA's first event of 2017, the USBC Hall of Fame. There was another 900 shot. We're going to discuss how to properly maintain the surface of your bowling ball. And we have a special interview with Weber International Bowler, uh, Nate Garcia. So to get things started, let's let's talk about the uh, DHC PBA Japan Invitational. So this was the first event of the year, um, well, first real event of the year for the PBA. There was a field of 32 bowlers. It was round-robin match play. So everybody bowled everyone once. Bonus pin rules were in effect, 30, 30 bonus pins for a win, 15 for a tie. So Japanese uh, bowler uh, Shota Kawazoe led the tournament by 401 Pins. He lit match play on fire. He was 24-8, and eight, which was the best record in the field. He bowled amazing all week. The next four spots that rounded out the top ladder were all American bowlers. It was Jason Sterner, Sean Rash, Chris Barnes, and EJ Tackett. Jesper Svensson from Sweden missed by only 10 pins. He finished 6th place, only 10 pins behind uh, Tackett, which, which just tells you, make your spares. <laughs> That's one spare. I'm sure he missed one somewhere along the, along the day, uh, one of these four days, and that, that kept him out of the stepladder. And it really hurts because EJ Tackett then went up and destroyed the stepladder. So in the four, the four matches on the stepladder, he went up the ladder from fifth place. He shot 10-10 for those four games. His lowest game was a 235, but he went all the way up the ladder and captured his sixth PBA tour title, and he won 5 million yen, which sounds amazing, but it, it's really $43,000, which is a, a big purse uh, on the PBA tour these days, uh, so that looks pretty good. Uh, you can you can read more about the event and see the full standings at pba.com. In other international bowling, the 47th annual Brunswick Ballmaster Open happened this week in Helsinki, Finland. It was the season opening event for the European Bowling Tour. It was a six-game tournament with unlimited re-entries, and I believe there was 16 squads. Women received eight pins per game handicap, as they do in all uh, EBT events, and the top 54 bowlers made the cut. After that, there was two blocks of five games, where you cut to the top 12, who bowled 12 games of Robin Robin match play. And then they cut to the top four. The tournament was won uh, by the top qualifier, who was Daphne Tan of Singapore. She defeated her national teammate, Jazreel Tan, 232 to 225. Third place was Sana Pasanen from Finland. And fourth was the only male bowler in the top four, who was Carson Warming Hansen from Denmark. Daphne Tan won 12,000 euros for first place in this tournament. To read more about the 47th annual Brunswick Ballmaster Open, 
go to bowlingdigital.com. Also on Bowling Digital, you can see a story on the European Bowling Tour losing the 15th annual Columbia 300 Vienna Open. The tournament's been canceled. This goes with a kind of a string of cancellations here lately. They also canceled the Qatar Open, and they canceled two. They had to cancel two satellite events. So this year they're down to only 11 events, which is the lowest total since 2002. The EBT started in 2000. They've had as many as 20 events in one season, so they're they're almost cut in half from what they used to be. Uh, I don't know the reason. I don't follow the European Bowling Tour a ton. I do go and and click on you know standings and see who was bowling a lot. But it looks like they're in a little bit of trouble, especially with the Qatar Open being canceled. I know that's been one of the bigger tournaments that has taken place uh, on the EBT Tour. So I don't know what's going on. I hope they can fix it. I hope that that tour gets better and returns to what it used to be uh, a few years ago because it's always good to have different avenues for bowlers across the world. In other bowling news, PBA Hall of Famer David Ozio has been elected to the USBC Hall of Fame for superior performance. He joins Mike Shady in the 2017 class, who was he was voted into the Hall of Fame in November for outstanding performance. David Ozio, for maybe some of you old, older fans there, bowled uh, through the, the 80s and 90s. He, he made it into the PBA Hall of Fame in 1995. He was a very good bowler, very fun to watch, just so smooth, so 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 effortless. He was uh, he was really one of my favorites to watch. Uh, he he was elected into the, the PBA Hall of Fame in 1995, so it's about time the USBC kind of got him in there. But you can read more on that story at bowl.com. The PWBA is accepting membership applications and entries into their first four events of the year. If you plan on bowling any of the any of the events, it's it's pretty much worth your while to either renew or get your PWBA membership. Uh, there's several several good benefits of being a member of the PWBA. Uh, it's $100 off the entry fee of the, the standard events. There's a chance to enter the P uh, the PWBA Players Championship. You get discounted practice rates at all PWBA practice centers. You can qualify for the, the Smithfield PWBA Tour Championship. You get your name listed on the PWBA website. And, and there's a lot, of, lot more things that, that go on with that. So the membership is $300, and to become a member, you have to fill out an application I believe the requirement is you have to average 180 or better for any sanctioned USBC league. The PWBA 2017 season starts April 27th at the PWBA Sonoma County Open. And once again, we've had another 900 shot. This time it was by John Buchanan III of Evansville, Indiana. He's the 30th bowler, and this was the 31st 900, sanctioned 900. Uh, in the history of sanctioned bowling. So, you know, it's USBC now, used to be ABC. But here's the big kicker. He's 70. He's 70 years old. This is a 70-year-old guy. From what I read on bowl.com, they had a nice write-up about it. He used to hold the series, the high series for his association. He used to hold that record. It was beaten recently, but now I guess it it can never be beaten again. So, uh, you know, congratulations to John uh, Buchanan. This is a, a big accomplishment. I mean, it's huge. It, it's only happened 31 times that have been approved. It's only been 31 times in history. And we're talking, you know, a history that goes back to 1895 when the ABC was established. But here's the problem for me. Since since 1895, for, for the first 102 years, 
102 years. There were exactly zero, zero sanctioned 900s. None. None of them. Even when Glenn Allison shot his, they said no. That's not a sanction. It's not sanctioned. They took it away. So he's the first guy. He's probably the most deserving of it. He should still probably have it retroactively put, given to him, but, you know, that's not up to me to decide. So in 1997... In 1997, the first sanctioned 900 was bowled by Jeremy Sonnenfield. But since then, it's kind of gotten out of control. So last year, 2016, there were three. Three of them in one year. In the past five years, there's been 11. So USBC likes to talk about the integrity of the game and how you know they're improving it. Well, where's the integrity? You, you, can't, you can't let people... You, you, I mean, 11 times... Five years, 11 times. Zero times in 102 years, 11 times in five years. Just the past five years. That's crazy. In 20 years, we've had 31. In 102 years, zero. That's a problem. People a lot of times like to point out the fact that these bowling balls just do way too much to the to the pins. They really, uh, they, they, they just create such a big advantage for bowlers. But here's the thing that I see. And you guys can do this. You can follow along at home. So I believe it's next month the Masters will be bowling in February. So when the USBC Masters picks when the USBC Masters picks up, I want you to look at qualifying. I want you to scroll all the way to the bottom. Keep going. All the way down there. Go to the bottom of the page, right? You you find the person in last. Okay? Find that person. The guy in last or lady in last. Look them up on bold.com, use their member search tool, and look at what they average at home. I'm willing to bet that the person in last, I'll call it right now, will be averaging between 155 and 160. It'll be somewhere in that range. It almost always is. So they'll be at 155, 160. Look them up on bold.com. They probably average over 200. I've only remember one or two tournaments where they didn't. And if that guy doesn't, go up one spot, so next to last. That guy averages 220 in his home center, okay? And look up look up the top pro on the bottom of the page. So the, the bottom pro, he averages probably 230 at his home center. They took the same balls. So if these balls are these magical devices that just knock over pins, did they take the week off? They decided not to make the trip with the guy? He, he just, he showed up to the tournament and they quit working? I, that's not how it works. That That's not what happens. So the problem, to, in my mind, is lane conditions. And lane conditions just create such a skewed view of our game. When you look at house shots, and unfortunately, leagues are defined as the same sport as the PBA. Granted, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably a competitive bowler, and you probably are interested in bowling, and you know about bowling, and you understand that aspect of the game. But most people don't, especially people who don't bowl. They think that what what their friends do on Tuesday night and they go bowl their mixed league where they stand somewhere in the middle of the lane and they close their eyes and they throw the ball right and it strikes all night, that's what they do on tour too. It's the same thing. It's the same game. You're using the same ball as the guy that was on, you know, made the show last week. You're just as good as he is. Except, you know, let's be fair – he only shot 220 on the show, and you just got done shooting 250. 
and you might be on your eighth beer of the night and have no clue what you're looking at. You know, so that makes you better, right? This is the problem, okay? We need to fix this in bowling. And and a lot of time a lot a lot of time has been spent talking about how we need to educate bowlers to let them know that there's a difference. They all often do it on the telecast where you'll have, you know, Randy Peterson or, or whoever talking about how you're supposed to play that condition, how you're supposed to play this condition, how you're supposed to do this and that. But people don't get it. They they, they just they don't get it. They tune out when they hear that stuff. They they don't want to know. The only way to fix this is to actually force them to change. I really think that we need to, you know, the USBC needs to step in and do something about the really soft conditions. I know they're afraid of the BPAA. They don't want to step on their toes and tell them how to run their business. But if you want a future, I think you have to. I mean, the biggest concern, like the BPAA's biggest problem with it is that they, you know, they, they don't want people to quit. They They think they're going to lose their leagues. They think that these things are going to disappear if they put out something harder. But they're not. They're just not. I, I think the people who are going to be the most affected by a change to maybe instituting a harder condition, I won't even say a sports shot. Let's just make it a little harder. Let's make a realistic rule, not this three units crap that they've had for years. Let's make a realistic lane condition rule. It doesn't necessarily have to be sport, but let's make it at least marginally difficult. Let's make it something that you can't just close your eyes and throw it right and strike all night. So they have to do something about this. But the guys that are going to be the most affected are the guys that average over 200, the guys and girls who average 200, the high average bowlers. If you average over 200, I don't know the exact number. I couldn't find it today. I couldn't find it anywhere. But I remember reading an article. You're in the top 10 percentile. You're you're up there. You're amongst the best bowlers in the country if you average over 200 according to, you know, your average in bowling in league. So you're doing really well. You're, you're, you're up there. So this 10%, this small minority, dictates what we all have to get. They're afraid that they are going to lose this 10% of bowlers. They're going to all just quit because they can't average incredibly high without trying. Go ahead and let them quit. It's, it's nonsensical to think that. If they really believe that these guys are just going to up and leave because they can't average 230 without trying anymore, those guys can go. So even if we lose a quarter of those people, we haven't lost that many bowlers. Yeah, those guys aren't going to quit. They're still going to be there. Those guys are going to be there. They're just going to have to actually, I don't know, practice? They might actually have to show up to the bowling center when it's not their time to bowl league. They might actually have to come to the realization that their false ego that has been built up through the roof needs to come down a little bit. They can't, they are not as good as they think they are. So maybe we should force them to look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm not that good. Maybe I should practice. Maybe if I want to maintain this hobby that I do that I thought I was good at and I want to maintain my level, my status in that building... Maybe I have to come in and practice every once in a while. Maybe I need to practice. And what what, what happens then? What happens then? They, they come in and maybe they, they spend a little extra money in the bowling center. They practice a little more. They get a little better. Maybe then they start saying, hey, you know what? I never bowled tournaments before because I didn't think I could bowl on this stuff. But I'm doing pretty good now. I've thrown it a lot better and, and this stuff's hard. So I'm actually doing pretty good now. Maybe I should go bowl a tournament. 
maybe this is a way that you can revitalize the dying tournament industry for bowling. I mean, these guys aren't bowling now, so what could it hurt? I mean, it's very hard to get people out to bowl. Uh, I know from attempting to run tournaments, it is not easy. You have to you have to fight people to get them to show up to tournaments. Uh, I'm sure that there are places where everyone lines up with their money in hand and they all want to bowl each other all day long. It's not here, and it's not anywhere else I've been. It's not an easy thing to run tournaments, and it's because they have this false confidence. They think that they are great, and they are they are sure that they can compete at the, their home house on their house shot. That's it. They don't have confidence. They'll go bowl something else, and it gets a little hard, and they're lost. They don't know how to bowl. They They know how... To stand in the same spot every week, week after week, and hit the same mark. You can see it when the good bowlers get on tough pairs in the house they bowl on. It gets ugly quick. So basically, I I think you're not going to lose these bowlers because the guys that are going to get affected probably stick around. These are the guys that are going to be affected the most. Now, the other 90% of bowlers, all those other bowlers that are out there, those people are going to continue bowling too because you know what? They're not there because they're competitive and this is like this is their night to go light the world on fire and make their living by bowling brackets on a Wednesday night mixed league. That's that's not what they're doing. That's not what they're there for. You know what they're there for? They're there to hang out with some friends, drink a few beers, and have a good time. It, do you have a better time and you bowl better? Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of times people do. That makes sense. But... Is it something worth quitting over? No, I don't think so. And the people with the lower averages, the, the the lower you go on the average, tends to be the higher the percentage of the people who are sanctioned are. So you get down below 160, a lot of these people are throwing straight balls at the head pin. How much is the shot dictating how they're going to score? It's not. It's not at all. They, they're still going to be able to stand in the same spot, let their ball go in the same place, and you know that white dot's going to hit the hit the head pin right on and so they're not quitting they're there they're there for the long haul they enjoy what they're doing they're not there to boost their ego they're they're just there to have fun so you're not going to lose these people so put out a harder shot let's let's bring back some integrity let's let's prove that bowlers bowling is a skill again let let's let's prove that and let's prove it in every bowling center across the country let let's make this happen Hopefully one day they'll they'll realize that it's not the balls, it's it's not the lack of prize funds, it's not the lack, it's not it's none of this. It is simply that bowling is no longer a challenge. It's not that difficult for people. I'm not saying that people like John Buchanan the Third, who who just shot this 900, aren't good bowlers. Um, they deserve the accolades that they get. This is an impressive accomplishment. Um, congratulations to everyone who shot 900. Well, except for the one kid, and he knows who he is. Uh, but congratulations to everybody. I mean, it, it's a big deal. You, you threw 36 strikes in a row. I, I get excited when I have four. So, uh, way to go. I mean, that's it's a remarkable feat, and, and you guys have done nothing wrong. And I don't want this rant to be taken that I'm I'm ranting against league bowling or league bowlers or anything like that. It's not. It's not that. It's the fact that... The, the governing body of our sport refuses to do anything. To me, this is like going and playing in a 
let, let's say that you went and played in a co-ed softball league and they moved the fence from the outfield to just behind the infield. <laughs> so now everyone's hitting it out of the park every time they're at bat. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing, guys. I mean, that's let's be let's be serious. This is what we're doing. So occasionally you're going to misfire and you're going to line one into the outfield. It's going to hit the fence. Uh, and that's how come you know so many people are averaging 230 and 250 because that's their one or two missed shots. Uh, every other one's going over the fence. You know, you, you make that outfield... 100 feet to left, <laughs> uh, I can knock it out of the park. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's, to me, that's what we need to do. We, we need to fix that. We need to make this a skill again at every level. The guys on tour, that's a skill. That's an amazing skill. These guys are more talented than they get credit for. And, but people just have this different idea. And this idea is very bad. That, that, idea of bowling is the same at every level it's not the guys the guys bowling league are not bowling on tour it's 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 not even the same game you're not playing the same same sport this is wiffle ball to major league baseball league you're going to go play putt putt tour you're you're going to go play augusta it's it's not even close to the same thing so let's fix the lane conditions let somebody needs to do something this is out of hand. This, this, is, and it gets it gets worse every year. So let's fix it. I, I mean, just please, let's fix it. I, I'd like to tell you a little more about the Kegler's bowling event management system. You know, if you've ever tried to run any side pots during league or tournament, you know it can be kind of a pain. You have to bring in the computer. You have to bring in the printer, the paper. You have to all this stuff, but. The Kegler's Bowling Event Management System, it just makes it so much easier. So just download Kegler's, that's K-E-G-L-E-R-Z, to your iPad, and that's all you need to do. The Kegler's Bowling Event Management System replaces the computers, the expensive software, and even the printouts, because any bowler can keep track of their scores on their iPhone or Android by downloading the SidePots app. Anyone can follow the results of your tournament or side action in real time right from their phone. So you don't have to print anything out anymore. They just have to download a free app, uh, SidePots, powered by Kegler's, to their phone, and they can keep track. Kegler's Bowling Event Management System is a great app to run the tournament, brackets, Nassau's, eliminators, or blind draw doubles. Plus, the best part, it's free. Download Kegler's, again, that's K-E-G-L-E-R-Z, for your iPad, and SidePots, powered by Kegler's, on your iPhone or Android device, for free today. Kegler's is sponsored by Brunswick. Okay, so so today I wanted to talk about like proper ball maintenance. So so last week I, I had mentioned that bowling balls don't die, and that's that's one of the things that that gets thrown out there. People say bowling balls die; they're, they're only good for a hundred games. That's nonsense. I, I know we live in a mostly disposable society where everything gets thrown away in a couple years, and you have to buy a new one. Bowling balls don't. They're just not one of those things. There's no electronic. There's no electronic components in it that can go bad. There's there's no programming glitches that can happen. There's no there's none of that stuff that happens with a lot of lot of our products today, which makes them replaceable quickly. So so bowling balls you can keep them like new, and to keep them at, like new, you just have to do certain things. So. One of the things we want to look at is why bowling balls get less aggressive. 
So why do they stop transitioning as fast? Why why does that those transitions you know slow down? Why why does it stop hooking as much in most cases? Although that's not entirely correct. Maybe we'll we'll talk about that next week with how to determine what the most aggressive ball is because it's not how much it hooks. But anyway, um, so these balls these balls get less aggressive because the ball creates friction with the lane. That friction is created by the depth of the pores, the size of the pores, and the peaks of the pores. So you have these big peaks and valleys, and as you bowl, those peaks get eroded down. So those those peaks get worn down and worn down and worn down. They're not as sharp. They get flatter, um, which makes the pores not as large. It, it, it makes the footprint smaller. At the same time, modern bowling balls absorb oil and they're going to suck that oil up into the ball they're filling up the valley so the peaks are getting eroded off the valleys are getting filled in pretty soon you're ending up with a a ball that doesn't have you know there's not much of a pour left so your ball has to to maintain that friction your ball needs to maintain that high amount of friction created by the pores to continue performing at the same level so so you want to limit first thing you want to do is limit how much oil is getting into the ball so in between shots, wipe the ball down with the towel. So you're getting up to throw a shot, wipe it down with the towel. Microfiber towels tend to work better, but you can you can pretty much use anything. Uh, microfiber towels are great. You can also, this is something a lot of people don't know, there's a lot of ball cleaners that help get the oil out of the ball that are 100% approved during competition. You are allowed to use them while you are bowling, as long as they don't alter the surface. They're not... They don't have an abrasive material in them. So there's even some polishes that are approved during competition. So look it up. You can look it up on bowl.com, what's approved and for when. But there's a lot of good polishes. Even even one of the best one of the best cleaners, the adrenaline wipes, that the that is approved during competition. You can use that while you're bowling. And so that makes that that makes a big difference. So limit how much of that oil is getting into the pores of the bowling ball. Make sure you're wiping it off every shot so you're getting that oil to, to go away a little bit there. Now, the next thing, when you're done your three games, if you haven't been cleaning it all night anyway, if you don't have one of those cleaners, clean it at the end of bowling. Don't wait until the next week. That oil's already on the surface and going in and, and getting deeper in the pores and you're not going to get it out. You want to hit it while you're right there. You get done bowling, start cleaning the ball. First thing you do, and let's let's talk about cleaners a little bit. A lot of companies make cleaners, and and whatever your preference is, there a lot of them are really good. My personal favorites were always the uh, I really like the Neotac Hookit. I, I think that was really good. You can also buy it. The Neotac Hookit is is excellent. That was a really good cleaner. Uh, I also liked the 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 adrenaline pads. As I said, the the Ebonite adrenaline pads were always nice. A uh, Motive has that that gel that gel cleaner. That that's really good, and it smells good too. It has that orange scent to it. That's really nice. But but pretty much anything. But let's let's also talk about don't use don't use certain things. Rubbing alcohol can be used. It's it's not great. Acetone. So many people tell me they use acetone on their bowling balls. Number one, that's a banned substance. If you put acetone on your bowling ball, technically that ball is no longer fit for competition ever. It's not good for your bowling ball. It destroys the cover. Don't use acetone. Don't. No acetone. Go look. If you're using one of those home things, go ahead and look. Go ahead and look it up on bold.com. They have a list of what you can't use. It's a fairly short list. There's not a ton of things you can't use, but just 
be mindful of it. A lot of times they're not telling you you can't use it just because uh, they don't want you to use something. You know, they want you to use a bowling product or whatever. They're telling you not to use it a lot, some of those times because it damages your ball. Acetone is terrible. Don't use it. No. Okay, so after you've wiped it down and you've cleaned it after each time, make sure you touch the surface every six to nine games. So every other week, take it in the shop. Whatever the ball was left at, it was at 4,000 was the finished surface. Tell them to hit it with a 4,000 pad. It was polished. Hit it with the polish again. Even with polish, you know, polish wears off of the ball. So if you need more length, like a lot of times when people talk about ball maintenance, they, they want to talk about maintaining how aggressive the ball is. Well, one of the things that they don't often talk about is maintaining how weak the ball was. So uh, if you had polish on the ball, that polish comes off the surface. It depends on what kind of polish you use, how long it's there. But yeah, make sure whatever your finished surface was at, just hit it with that again. Hit it with polish, hit it with 4,000, hit it with 500 if you're a little hand challenged, whatever it is. So just, just touch up every six to nine games or so. So once every, every other week, every three weeks, whatever it might be, just touch it up six to nine games. Uh, then about every 30 games or so, you want to do a little bit more. So if you have a ball that's at 4,000, maybe you want to hit it with a little bit of a rougher surface first and then hit it with a 4,000. That'll help bring it back to life a little bit. It'll help uh, open up those pores again. If you're at polish, maybe you want to hit it with a 4,000 pad and then polish it. Maybe you want to hit it with something a little duller and then polish it. Again, I don't recommend putting polish on the ball until you've gone all the way up to 4,000 because it's an inconsistent reaction. Uh, It's hard to duplicate the same reaction uh, from a bowling ball that isn't all the way up at 4,000 before you put polish on it. 2,000 you can kind of get away with, but make sure you're smoothing it up before you put polish on it. Sometimes people are surprised at how, how... how much length they can get out of a dull ball if it's smoothed up st- each step to 4,000. The ball gets pretty long down the lane. You don't always need polish, but it's just a more repeatable surface when you put polish on the ball if you have it at the smoothest surface. When, when you leave the pores too big, that polish kind of will sit in different places. You, you do it once, it rolls great. You do it again, and who knows? You might get the same reaction, you might not. So in for consistency's sake... Go ahead and uh, make sure you step the ball all the way up if you're going to put polish on it. So then after that, you know, somewhere around every 60 or 90 games, make sure you're resurfacing the ball and getting the oil out of the ball. So when I say resurfacing it, you're, you're completely redoing it. And this is this is an area where I think sometimes people get concerned. I have a lot of people who, who would come into the shop and they wouldn't want a ball resurface because once you resurface it, the ball is dead. Not true. The problem is people don't, resurface the balls the right way. Pro shop operators alike, they, they don't they don't step it up the right, the right way. When, when you look at how they do it at the factory, a lot of the factories make the balls oversized and then they cut the ball down on a lathe. When it comes off that lathe and goes onto one of the machines, it goes from lathe, which is probably 120, uh, 120 grit maybe. I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it's really rough. And then it goes onto a 500 grit pad, or sometimes it starts a little higher than that. So if you go from 120 to 500, well, you, first of all, are hitting it rougher than what most people use in shops now. Most people are using Aberlon and CA Air, and yeah, the Aberlon has 180s, uh, the CA Air pads have 240, but that's not the same thing as a 100 grit piece of sandpaper, uh, or a 120 grit piece of sandpaper. If you don't believe that, go find some. Go hit your bowling ball with some drywall screen. Go hit your bowling ball with 
uh, any of that super rough sandpaper, it's not even close to what that 180 or 240 is, especially after those balls have been used on a couple, or those pads have been used on a couple of balls already. Not even close to the same thing. So go ahead and and hit it as rough as you can get it. I used to keep uh, I used to keep 120 grit sandpaper when I resurfaced in the shop. I hit it that rough, and then I would skip right to 500. I wouldn't step it up. I wouldn't go 240. And then when I went from to 500, when I hit it, when you step it up, you don't have to step it up much, and you don't have to hit it long. So if you're at 180, just lightly hit it with, with 500. I, I had one of the, the Storm Surface Factories in my shop, and I would put it at about 30 seconds if the pads were new. If the pads were, were a little new, so I would go 180 in the back. I would maybe 30 seconds with a 500, uh, 30 seconds with a thousand, and you know, depending on the ball, whatever you want to step it up to. So um, about 30 seconds a pad. Sometimes the ball does not look as pretty as it did out of the box, but the performance will be there. It'll still be there. It'll it'll look much closer to what you had out of the box. Uh, also, you need to get the oil out of the ball. So. Uh, there are some methods at home. For the love of God, don't put your ball in the, the, the oven. You have no idea how many balls I have seen that people put them in the oven. Don't do that. Ball, okay, I said balls don't die. That's a good way to kill a bowling ball. Put it in the oven, okay? Ovens get too hot. You will get the oil out, and you'll get everything else out, and the ball will not be even close to the same thing from when you put it in. If you want to do something at home, the best method, hot bucket of water. Just turn turn your, your, your faucet on all the way up. Just, just turn it all the way hot. Let it run. Fill up a five-gallon bucket. Drop the ball in for 20 minutes. Take it out. Hit it with some cleaner. Wipe it down. Do it again. Same thing, and do it again, and again, and again and again, and again, until all the oil's out. Sometimes it takes a long time. It depends on what type of ball you have. It might take five or six times of that, and so, you know, it might be a few hours. But if you don't have that kind of time to kill just messing with your bowling ball, take it to a pro shop. I can't imagine there are too many pro shops that still don't have something like uh, the Rejuvenator or the Reviver or any of these other systems that have come out uh, that, that will help extract the oil from the ball. They all do a great job. I wouldn't complain about anyone. I I personally had the I like the Reviver. It works great from Innovative. Uh, that's a that's a really good thing. That uh, Ebonite has that new one. That's uh, apparently like hot water circulates through it or something. That looks fine. A- any of that stuff will work. They don't make very many products that are going to completely you know they're not going to wreck your ball. They're not going to kill it. They, so those things work well. Just if you use something like the the Revive or something, make make sure just just check your pro shop there. Make sure he's not setting that temperature too high. I think the temperature on those things go up to like 150 that you can set them on. Um, make sure any anything they're using temperature doesn't go over like 135 max. It should be right around 130. I think once you start hitting that 135 mark, if I remember right, the plasticizer starts coming out of the ball. It's kind of the some of the chemical that helps make the ball tacky. I I believe is what I remember reading, but I know that that number is like 135. So let's, you know, dial it back a pinch. Um, 130, the oil will come out. Um, it will come out. You can even put it on your back porch if you live somewhere hot, the the heat from outside. I'm sure you've seen it when you've left your ball in your car a few times and that oil is just flying out of the ball when you take it in. 
uh, to bowl league, and it looks, you know, gross and slimy. Okay, also, at that 30, 60 to 90 level there, finger inserts. If you use finger inserts, change them, okay? I don't know where the idea came from that finger inserts were permanent. They're not. Not even close. Not permanent. They don't uh, live in the ball forever. That is not their retirement home. Uh, the retirement home is the garbage because those things last, you know, 60 to 90 games, if they've lasted that long, congratulations. That's way longer than I ever got out of a set of finger inserts. So make sure you're changing those. Sometimes people would see a drop in performance and it's really something as simple as changing a finger inserts because they're not creating the same leverage on the ball because they've ripped the rubber, you know, out of those inserts and they've created that nice little divot in there change them. I think I used to change mine like every other week because I was destroying them. Uh, thankfully, I quit using them. Make sure you change the finger inserts. So wipe it down after every shot. Clean it when you get done. Touch it up. Uh, touch the surface up every six to nine games. You know, do a little extra touch up about every 30 games. You know, hit it with the extra pad before, you know, so like two pads instead of one or a pad, then polish, whatever it needs to be. And then every 60 to 90 games, full resurface, oil extraction, change your inserts. These things will help that ball stay like new. You know, you take care of it, it will take care of you. If you maintain the balls this way, if you maintain all of your balls this way, they will last for a long time. If you have multiple balls and you're like, well, I don't know when I've bowled six games, get a notebook. Okay, literally get a notebook and keep track. Hey, game one, Monday night, I threw this ball. Game game two, Tuesday night, I threw this ball. You know, game, you know, make sure you know how many how many games are on each ball. You don't you don't necessarily need to do the maintenance on it. You maybe your your strongest ball, you only throw the game one and you bowl twice a week. So you're only using it two you're only using it two games a week then. You know, if you switch down then you throw something else for the last two that first ball, the strongest ball, you're only going to have to do, you know, touch the surface once every three weeks if you do it at six games. So just keep track. Know where you are with your equipment. A little notebook with all your balls listed and how many games you've bowled with them. You know, just little tally marks. When you hit those, those, uh, just use little, you know, tally marks. And when you hit those, those benchmarks, go clean it. Go get it resurfaced. Go get the oil out of it. Whatever it needs to do. And they'll take care of you forever. So this week we have a special guest with us. He's a senior bowler at Weber International, which for those of you who don't know is one of the top bowling schools uh, in the country. Um, he's a senior there. He's been bowling for them since his freshman year. Uh, he made a telecast a few a few years ago, and this is uh, this is actually the guy that I was talking about on our last podcast. So so this is uh, Nate Garcia. How are you, how are you doing, Nate? What's going on, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing really good. You know, uh, Nate's actually a good friend of mine. Uh, if you listen to last week's podcast, I, I've known him since. Uh, God, uh, he had to have been. Dude, I was in I was in a playpen when <laughs> old league. <laughs> yeah, probably, and and now he's he's getting ready to graduate college, so that that makes me feel good and old. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Nate's been been bowling for a long time. I've seen him kind of grow up in the bowling alley. He's. Uh, uh, just really turned into one one really really good bowler and he's cashed a bunch of tournaments. Like I said, he made that telecast. Uh, was that 2014? 
Uh, I believe so. Freshman year. Uh, yeah, it was 2014. And like you said, we drilled up a couple balls before I went out. And, you know, I got a couple lessons from you and it was uh, very helpful. I wouldn't have had the success I did uh, through sectionals and nationals if it wasn't for you. So I really do appreciate it and everything you've done for me over the years. You know, you looked out for me since I was a little kid and uh, you really took me under your wing, whether it was in the pro shop, or whether it was on the lane. So, you know, I owe you a lot, and I really do appreciate it, man. Oh, uh, yeah, it was it was my pleasure, Nate. It was it was good to have uh, have you around, and I'm glad that you're doing so good now. It's it's very proud of you. It's it's, it's impressive what you've done. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. So before we get into the interview, is there you know you've been bowling a while, you bowl really good. So is there any like sponsors that you have you'd like to to give a shout out to? I uh, absolutely, um, you know, owe everything to uh, Cecil over at Vice. Um, I met him on the women's tour um, with Elise Bolton right now. She's my girlfriend, and I traveled to several of her events, and I was introduced to Cecil. He helped me at the Lucy when I was bowling, and he offered me the contract, and um, I am on Vice. Uh, I'm also on Bolify. They're my main jersey company, and they... I met the owner, Steve, at the Queens. He really took me under his wing. Um, he he really he didn't see me bowl, but he had a lot of trust in me. And, you know, I owe a lot to him. And he came down to Kegel, and he visited our facility. So, uh, so yeah, Bolify, um, Vice, and RBT. Uh, Thomas Vasquez is the southern rep down here. He called me up one day, and he gave me the opportunity. You know, he saw me grow up as a bowler maturity-wise, and, you know, he really believed in me, and he finally gave me the shot to represent uh, the brand. So those three brands have been really, really welcoming, and uh, they're the best product out there. Awesome, awesome. So basically, let's uh, let's get into this ten question uh, interview here. Uh, so, so the first, you know, the first couple are pretty easy. So number one, what's your name? Everybody knows me as Nate, but my first name is uh, Gabriel. You know, that's what my mom called me. It's funny how I got the name. Like my aunt, um, she just called me Nate. Uh, it out of nowhere, not Nathaniel, not Nathan. It's just Nate. So, you know, I'm known as Nate. All right. So, I'm sorry. Number two, what is your position in the bowling world? I am currently a batch tester at the Kegel Training Center. I got the job almost two years ago. I started uh, in the summer of my uh, junior year, well, sophomore year, then it transpired into the junior year, and. Uh, you know, Terrence Reeves at Kegel, he used to be on tour, he used to be on Brunswick staff. He took me under his wing um, while I was batch testing, and, you know, he showed me the ropes, and he's been a really good friend. You know, he's gotten me where I am today at Kegel, so I really do appreciate all that he's done for me. Number three, when did you start bowling? And, uh, you know, going back to that playpen, uh, <laughs> my parents always bowled league. They started bowling league at uh, Don Carter's down in Miami. Since then, like, I've been bowling since I could walk. Uh, two years old, and, uh, you know, it's just, it runs in the family this whole time. And I just, you know, I just loved it. I just fell in love with it. Um, it was something to do, and I absolutely love it. So So the number four, why did you start bowling? Something about pins flying, throwing a ball as hard as you can. At that age, you don't know any better. So throwing a ball as hard as you can at the pins and just watching them fly, <laughs> you know, that kind of got me into it. And, you know, since the family is been bowling i've lived in a bowling center i've just been around it and i love it like just walking into a bowling alley and the smell of a pro shop or something like that it's just it doesn't get old so it just runs in the family and 
I just kind of fell in love with it. Number five, what moment hooked you into bowling? What made you the life the lifer that you are? How I view this question, I was at one point, it was before high school, and I really had to choose between baseball and bowling. I used to play baseball a lot. I traveled at that time, the juniors, it was called like the A-League, and that was the best league you can get into. And I was, I was like three years younger than all the kids. And uh, I got the opportunity to go on travel teams and all that. And I was pretty successful at baseball. But I couldn't balance both. And I was really starting to love bowling. Um, that's when, you know, me and you, like, once I got older, you taught me a little bit more. And I started to, you know, just fall in love with it. It was easier. It was more fun. And uh, so, honestly, like, that moment, I would kind of have to owe it to you because you did – bring me into it you showed me a lot of different things and I kind of that that's when I decided I decided around 13 14 years old and you know I stuck with it and joined the high school team and college team and you know I I am here where I am today so so you pretty much you'll take the blame for that one Jay I'll give you that (laughs) well well sometime I'll have to apologize for that (laughs) right now you're still (laughs) bowling pretty good so uh I'll take the credit now (laughs) you can take it it's all good Okay, number six, what is your greatest bowling success? I would assume it's that uh, the telecast, but is there some, some other moment that you had? The, the telecast was definitely, uh, right now, it's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, uh, that, that whole moment from sectionals up until that TV show was just one heck of a ride. It was like I was in cruise control for a t- two months straight, and, you know, I just let things happen, and, that TV show was definitely probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I did um, got the opportunity to bowl in Sarasota at a regional, and I ended up finishing second. But that was like another moment. It felt like nationals again. It felt like I was in that cruise control, and nothing was phasing me. So that those two things are definitely uh, one of the hot, highest things that's ever happened to me, so far at least. Nice. Hopefully I can top those couple things down the road, but, you know, we'll see. All right, so number seven, what's your favorite bowling moment? Well, favorite bowling moment, that, that regional does stick out to me a lot because my friends um, surprised me. Uh, Brandon Sucher, Cap PV, Christian Ruiz, they all came and they surprised me. And they, they sat behind me from game one of match play to the last match where I bowled against Rhino in the title match, and all they did was support me. So, mm-hmm. I, like... They supported me, and, you know, they were behind me, and I could talk to them. We were joking around, and it really meant a lot for them to drive two hours out of their way just to come see me bowl. That that was one of the best things, you know. And, then, and of course, having my brother around, like there's this famous photo of me hugging him at Nationals when we won a really close match. You know, like me and him, like we're so close. And every time he comes watches me bowl and, you know, he's in the stands cheering, that's always a great, uh, great memory. Number eight, who is your favorite bowler to watch? I would have to say Pete Weber, just because of like he makes everything look so easy. His swing is so effortless. Um, the ball comes so clean off his hand, and the energy that he brings every time he bowls. I guess that's where I kind of got mine because I like to get fired up as well. So seeing him get fired <laughs> up, it kind of like I, I could see a little bit of myself in him. So I really do like watching Pete bowl, and every time he's bowling, like, everyone freaks out. Right. Everyone knows 
he can pop off a big game, or he's a really tough opponent. The guy's 55 or something like that, almost in the 60s, and he's still he's still absolutely destroying everything he bowls. So. Number nine, what's your favorite ball of all time? Well, for a while, it was uh, the source. Uh, that ball has seen the lane a lot for me. Um, I got my highest set with it, won a lot of tournaments with it. That ball just, that ball is unbelievable. And now, like, I'm starting to get a new love for this uh, Paradox, the track Paradox. I've drilled six of them. And it is, it is absolutely amazing. Right up there with the source, put it in my hand, and pretty much everybody around me and myself knows that I'm going to strike. Uh, my college teammates love when I pull that ball out. I just, I, I find a way to strike with it. It's always good when you have that ball that you just have that confidence in. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Okay. All right, so number 10, one bowling tip everyone should know. Well, the biggest thing for me, and I would lo- I'd love to pass this on to anybody else, is all about timing and just feeling comfortable you know, with yourself, getting to the line easily and effortlessly. And it, and it all comes down to just breathing, relaxing, and trusting your training. Because, like, I know when I'm in a funk, I'm not, like, trusting myself. I, I try to, like, be too perfect. I try to fit the, lo- fit the ball on the line that I'm looking at. And it's just, all about, it's just all about slowing everything down, trusting what you do, and just going up there and executing it, just being really nice, smooth tempo, getting yourself back into that rhythm, uh, that that's what I focus on when I'm lost is staying steady, making sure I'm relaxed, making sure that I'm not, like, moving, like, head moving left or right, just right. keeping everything steady, slow, and just good tempo all the way through the shot. Yeah, that's that's a great tip. That's something that a lot of people, you can see that any day, even just at league. People get too tense. They, they don't. They don't relax the way they need to, and, and it, it causes uh, problems in their game. Uh, and that's yeah. uh, that's a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, you get too fast or start worrying about the score if you have, like, an eight-bagger and you just want to get to 300. But no shot is different than the shot before. Every shot is the same, even if it's on 20 in a row, 12 in a row. You just you, – every shot is the same. Don't treat it any – more or less than the shot before. So Yeah, that's right. Ten pins at a time. Exactly. Before we go today, I'd like to talk, you know, the, the off-the-lane segment. So something that I'm interested in that, that's not bowling-related. So this week I, I wanted to talk about uh, another podcast, actually. The podcast is called The Cracked Podcast. It's a very interesting show. It, it's kind of labeled as a comedy show. It's, it's funny at times, but they have a lot of interesting dis- discussions about pop culture, and just different, maybe sometimes fan theories, sometimes just things going on in the world, sometimes just different topics. Uh, sometimes it's stuff that they cover on their website, which is crack.com. It's a, it's a very good podcast. Uh, I think, you know, everyone should check it out at least once. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, Nate, do you, have, do you have something for, for Off the Lanes for us? Well, Off the Lanes, um, I definitely like spending a lot of time with my friends. Just whether it's going out to eat, watching a movie, whatever, but hour and a half away we usually get a group of guys and we go hang out on the casino boat in Merritt Island you know it's we don't have a lot of the gambling atmosphere here unless you know you go all the way down south towards Fort Lauderdale or you know you go up to Tampa we just like 
it's a mixture between a cruise and gambling, and it's always a great time. You know, we hang out, we have a ball, we play crafts, we do, like, all these different things, and it's just a great time. You know, it's a, it's a great team bonding time, and, you know, it's just a great thing to do with friends, and we just have a lot of fun doing it. So oh, that's, 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 kind of, that's kind of what we do. That's pretty uh, cool. In our yeah, when we don't have a school or bowling obligations, we just, you know, try to enjoy it. You know, we're in college. You know, a little bit of gambling here and there doesn't hurt, and it's just something to do. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a good time. Thank thank you very much for for joining us today. I hope you well, thank continue. Thank you very to... much, man, for having us. Yeah, having of me. course, of course. Anytime. Maybe sometime we'll have you on again, and maybe a little longer. We'll skip the the ten question thing and just maybe have you talk about something else. This was uh this was a good time and um. It's good to hear from you. It's, it's been a while, but uh, finish out the season strong, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. Yeah, man, thank you so much. Uh, keep doing your thing. Uh, I really appreciate all the support and everything you've done, man. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll stay in touch for sure. All right. Thanks, Nate. All right, buddy. No problem. Once again, I'd like to thank Nate Garcia for taking some time out. You know, it's good to have friends that will take time to, to talk to talk to me for a few minutes to help this podcast. Thank you again to him. If you'd like to follow him on Twitter, it's at Nate underscore Miami 03. So you can find him on Twitter there. He's also on Facebook. If you'd like to follow us, currently we're on Twitter. We're currently on Twitter at The Solid 9. If you have any questions that you'd like to email to to us, it's TheSolid9 at gmail.com. And until next week, I'll see you on the lanes.
music from the show today comes from Nameless, the hacker's RPG from Boxcat Games. Enjoy a well-crafted narrative set in the modern hacking world. Hack systems, troll, at, troll IT admins, and dive deep into the shadows of the internet. Make allies and save the world. Download it today in the App Store for $3.99. For $3.99, you get the entire game. It's not like those other free games where you end up downloading it for free and spending $50 on in-app purchases. There are no in-app purchases for this game. For $3.99, you get the entire game. So go to the App Store today and download Nameless, the Hacker's RPG 